I'm going to share about abiding truth. And it's going to help us to understand not only that we are complete in Christ, but that Christ is in us and Christ wants to live his life in and through us. Now, who wouldn't benefit from Christ living in and through you? I'm going to say that again. Who would not benefit from Christ living in and through you? But how often do we really sense that? How often do we really, are we really sensitive that he wants to do that, that he is doing that, and that he wants to do it day by day, every day? That's an absolute privilege, an absolute privilege. You know, sometimes we get in our minds that, oh, I wish I knew so-and-so. Oh, I wish I were invited to the White House like this person. What an, that would be a blessing, yes. But what about abiding in Christ today? What about being in fellowship with Christ, in relationship with him today? And then going out to talk to somebody and being able to speak words of truth that are from Christ himself into that person's life. That is what God craves for us to, to be able to do. And so I think today as I share, my intent is that as I share on abiding truth, that we'll be able to see some of the keys in God's word that Jesus taught his disciples and then that we can apply in our particular lives also. So I have two messages for today. If you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, rush to him today. If you have accepted Jesus Christ or Yeshua Messiah in the Hebrew as your Lord and Savior, learn to abide in him. So, I think that we probably have people in this audience in both categories today, and my primary focus is going to be on that second category about abiding in him. I would assume that some of you remember this poem. My wife, she'll be embarrassed that I even mentioned her, but she's a wonderful wife. And uh, this past week, she said, I have this poem going through my mind. And um, I never have this poem going through my mind. It's something that I memorized part or all of it when I was in, uh, back in school, high school or junior high. And I just have this in my mind. And I can attest that for the 41 plus years that I've known Nanette, I don't think she has ever said, I have this poem in my mind. But I think it's for us. And so I'm going to just read the beginning of it. Uh, I suspect, I expect, I hope that those of you who have been through junior high and high school, and most of us have, uh, will recognize this poem. I have no guarantee for that because I don't know exactly how much history is being taught properly in many of the schools. Now, East Bernard, I have confidence about East Bernard, Principal Philip, okay, <laughs> principal of the elementary school there. And I'm sure of the other schools, but in any event, uh, perhaps you'll remember this. It begins, listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. On the 18th of April in 75, hardly a man is now alive who remembers that famous day and year. He said to his friend, if the British march by land or sea from the town tonight, hang a lantern aloft in the belfry arch of the North Church Tower as a signal light. One if by land, two if by sea, and I on the opposite shore will be, ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex village and farm, for the country folk to be up and to arm. And then the poem goes on and it ends with, 
You know the rest in the books you have read how the British regulars fired and fled, how the farmers gave them ball for ball from behind each fence and farmyard wall, chasing the redcoats down the lane, then crossing the fields to emerge again, under the trees at the turn of the road and only pausing to fire and load. So through the night rode Paul Revere, and so through the night went his cry of alarm to every Middlesex village and farm, a cry of defiance and not of fear, a voice in the darkness, a knock at the door, and a word that shall echo forevermore, for born on the night wind of the past, through all our history to the last, in the hour of darkness and peril and need, the people will waken and listen to hear the hurrying hoofbeats of that steed and the midnight message of Paul Revere. Paul Revere had an urgent message to speak. We have an urgent message to speak. The times now are critical to speak God's word. And in order to speak the word of God with authority, we first have to get it on the inside of ourselves. We have to do, I think, as Pastor Phyllis shared last week, she said, you know, um, fun and stuff is okay, but what we really need is to consistent discipleship, and we need to be into the Word of God. And that's my encouragement today, as I will start to share a little bit more. But we are in a spiritual battle, needing to warn and to instruct, and there is an urgency about the times that we are in. Now, Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, made some truths known to those apostles, the disciples, and then some 12 of them became apostles. He spoke very specifically to them in order to prepare them. In order to prepare them for what he knew was coming, they were pretty much blind to. But it's interesting that on the night of uh, the Last Supper, after they had had the Last Supper, after he had washed their feet, he spoke some truth to them to help prepare them for what he saw coming even that night as he would be captured, made a prisoner, tortured, and crucified. And he had a very interesting statement that he made to them in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And I would say those words are very apropos for us today in 2022 here in the United States and throughout the world. And I'm speaking this to you right now. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. That's what he said, and that's what he meant. Don't let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So that was an introduction then, as he continues to share, and we move into John chapter uh, 15, or we will be in a few moments. But I want to mention to you and give you a picture of the impact that Jesus Christ, working with those 12, and then over a period of 300 years, had. I'm going to share just a little bit from an author who wrote, an, a historian who wrote an 11-volume series on history. He didn't come from a Christian perspective specifically, and he wrote in the third volume, entitled Caesar and Christ, the following. There is no greater drama in human record 
than the sight of a few Christians scorned or oppressed by a succession of emperors, bearing all the trials with a fiery tenacity, multiplying quietly, multiplying quietly. Isn't that ironic? All these troubles and yet multiplying quietly, building order while their enemies generated chaos. Anything, any chaos going on in our world today? Fighting the sword with the word, brutality with hope, and at last defeating the strongest state that history has ever known, Caesar and Christ had met in the arena and Christ had won. That was written after about 300 years of Christians being faithful to what Jesus Christ had laid out for his disciples, for his apostles. They walked it out. They passed it on. And history records what an impact Christians made. That's not the only time. I have the privilege of teaching on the constructive contributions that Christ and Christians have made to culture throughout the centuries at different places. And believe me, Christ and Christians have made a difference. And Christ and Christians in this room can make a difference. So Jesus had 12 common men. I'm going to say that again. Common men as his apostles. They weren't fancy, they weren't rich, they weren't amazingly educated by any means. They were common men, and yet they believed what he had to say, and they walked out in faith and in power. Now, this is sort of a peculiar aspect of Jesus Christ. He sees a man named Zacchaeus, and mostly I'm going to focus on the 12 apostles and such, but he sees a man by the name of Zacchaeus who had yet to follow him. And what does he say to Zacchaeus? He says, hurry down from the tree, as some of you today may need to accept Christ in a hurry. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But in his own life, Jesus himself never seemed to be in a hurry. Isn't that amazing? Can we learn anything from that for, our own, for ourselves? He knew the urgency of the time, but he never seemed to be in a hurry. It's a conundrum of truth, or it puzzles us. A conundrum is something that puzzles us. As a believer, we can see the urgency of the times and yet not be anxious for anything, as Philippians 4, 6 tells us. Because we give our hearts to God and we pray and we are with thanksgiving, and then he promises a peace that passes all understanding. So, um, having said all of that, I want to move into the abiding truth and the training of the 12. And specifically, I use that term abide. Some of the more recent versions use different words for it. Uh, it's a Greek word, meno, and it can be translated to stay, to abide, to remain. Sometimes it's referred to as dwell or have union with. There's a closeness there's a closeness. Do we ever need a closeness with something that is stable, something that is permanent, something that works day after day after day? And so the Apostle John shares several lessons through the words of Jesus about abiding. Uh, number one, as we are, and as we're thinking about this, I do want to, I, I want to mention this one thing too from another uh, book entitled Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray. 
And whereas Jesus, when he called out his believers, he said, follow me. Andrew Murray states this, during the life of Jesus on earth, the word he chiefly used when speaking of the relations of the disciples to himself was follow me. When about to leave for heaven, he gave them a new word in which their more intimate and spiritual union with himself in glory should be expressed. Their more intimate and spiritual union with himself in glory should be expressed. That chosen word was abide in me. Now, it's going to require to abide in him, to abide in his word, is going to require choices on our part. We're going to have to turn off three things. We're going to have to turn off busyness. We're going to have to turn off noise. And we're going to have to turn off screens. In order to be able to immerse in solitude, to immerse in quietness, to immerse in Christ himself through his word and his spirit. An example of immersing in Christ and his word is a man by the name of Count von Zinzendorf. Let's see, anybody ever heard of Count von Zinzendorf? I'm looking, I am looking. Yes, Pastor Jim, thank you, thank you. Looking, looking, okay. Well, he was in the 1700s, and I'm just going to share a little bit about him. But um, he was, a, as a young man, he visited an art gallery in Germany. And as one author shares about it, admiring the various priceless paintings, he was suddenly transfixed by one. As the curator of the art gallery made his rounds, he noticed the young man gazing intently at that painting hour after hour. No busyness, no noise, no screens. Finally, when it came time to close the gallery, the young count was still there. At last, the curator went to him and put his hand on his shoulder. He was about to tell him that he must leave when the curator saw tears streaming down the young man's eyes, cheeks. There in front of Count von Zinzendorf was a magnificent painting of the slain Lamb of God, beneath which were the words, All this I did for thee. What hast thou done for me? Good questions for us to answer. All this Jesus did for us. What have we done for him? And then... Before the painting of the crucified Christ, the Holy Spirit spoke, and Nicholas von Zindendorf from that day had a broken heart. He was abiding for hours before the Lamb. And then, if you know anything else about Count von Zinzendorf, which we don't yet, but Pastor Jim does, later, the Moravian church, for which he became a leader, in the midst of strife amidst the body of believers, initiated a prayer movement. Now, that's not unique. A number of bodies of Christ will initiate prayer movements when there's trouble, when there's difficulty. Individuals would commit to a given hour of prayer such that 24 hours a day were covered in prayer. This went on not one day, not two days, not two weeks, not two months, not two years, not 20 years, 100 years that Moravian prayer meeting met 
And want that same author that I was speaking of said, in these days we are all conscious, I believe, of the desperate need for revival. If you are a student of revival, you will know that perhaps the purest of all revivals was that which took place among the Moravians, this group of people, under the leadership of Count von Zinzendorf. So I share that in light of the power of abiding, the power of keeping our attention focused on Jesus Christ and being attentive in the quietness of our hearts to what he might speak and then being in, engaged in prayer together in order to see God move in mighty ways. So we're going to look at two passages and then I'll come back to dissect them. The first is John 8, 31 and 32. And I'm pulling these out of the English Standard Version for today. But in John 8, 31, 32, almost everyone has probably heard verse 32. I hope you've heard verse 31 also, but maybe not. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, believed him, if, very important, two-letter word, you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, how many of you have heard that, that second scripture there, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free? There are colleges throughout the United States that have used that as their motto. It may not even be Christian colleges, but they take it out of context. In essence, they are thinking, well, if I just have more knowledge, I'll be made free. Ooh, that's not the case. Okay? If you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. But that is contingent upon abiding in God's word. Then you can know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's what we all need to do. And then, just uh, in John 15, uh, Jesus emphasized the word abide. Listen for this as I read through a good portion of John 15, and how many times he uses this word abide. And remember again, what's about to happen? He's about to be crucified. He's about to be captured, tortured, and crucified. And these are some of the most important words that he thinks he needs to share with his disciples, who then are going to go on to transform the world. They're going to make a difference. Like what we want to do, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference, right? Isn't that true, Pastor Jim? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think you had something to do with that being a part of our church. All right, so back to the, the scriptures. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. <clears throat> by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This 
is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you love one another. We're going to just dissect this for a little bit of time. I'm not going to go forever and ever and ever and ever today, okay? But we're going to dissect these aspects about abiding so that we can see what Jesus Christ said to his disciples and then how we can apply it in our lives and really envision ourselves making a difference in our communities. And so the first aspect is in in light of John 8, 31 and 32, abiding in the word. This is the first abiding truth, to abide in his word. And we saw that. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, then there's the impact. The impact, you truly are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I, I can continue to keep knowing the truth and the truth. I can continue to keep growing all of my life and keep becoming more and more free because there's just no limit as far as what God can do for us in that category. So first truth, we need to abide in the word. Then next truth and its impact out of John 15, 5. We read it a few moments ago. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that's the abiding truth. We want to abide in him. The impact He it is that bears what? Much fruit. (laughs) Not just fruit, but much fruit. Now, who wouldn't want to bear fruit for God? These are the ways to go about it. It is simple, but we have to make choices. We have to turn off our busyness. We have to turn off the noise. We have to turn off the screens. We have to immerse ourselves in his word, immerse ourselves in his spirit, immerse ourselves in Christ himself. And then in light of this, uh, another version, I don't have this up here, but the amplified version says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For otherwise, apart from me, that is cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. So we need to beware of the negative impact when we're not abiding in Christ. When we're not abiding, like for apart from me, the impact is you can do nothing. Does that arrest your attention? If it doesn't, I pray that it does. If I am not abiding in him, I'm doing nothing. Now, Ken Boa explains that a little bit in a book called Conform to His Image that our staff is going through. And Ken is going to be here June 11th, speaking right here on this platform here to us on, uh, as a conference, Leadership in, God's, in the Image of God. I encourage everyone to be here that can be here on June 11th. I know some are going on vacation. But to, as I have shared with other groups, Ken, as far as I am concerned, is the best at getting us to go to the character and heart of God in order to be transformed on the inside, in order that God, in his due time, can expand our godly sphere of influence on the outside. And you may be thinking, I'm not really a leader. That's a lie. Because everyone is a leader. Everyone has to lead at least him or herself. 
And I forget the number, Pastor Jim has shared it at some point, as far as even the person who thinks he is hardly a leader at all affects 10,000, Pastor Jim says, people throughout his lifetime. So every one of you is a leader. I encourage you to come here. You'll, you can go on the website and, and sign up for it. It's a free conference, but you need to register. And so in any event, I'm looking forward to Ken being here. And he makes this statement in regard to this, this truth. Regardless of the activity, it is always true that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing of eternal value and bear no lasting fruit. But, but when we abide in him and he in us, we can discover splendor in the ordinary. What a great statement. Splendor in the ordinary. So apart from him, though, we can do nothing of eternal value or of lasting fruit. And so, again, we come back. Uh, there's another verse in John 15 in light of abiding in him. And in John 15, 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, I love how Andrew Murray, in, in his book, Abide in Christ, clarifies this, that that's not just going about and asking God for whatever makes us happy, okay? It's because we're abiding in him, our values, our purpose, our heart mirrors his. And so our, those requests that we make are to extend his kingdom. Now, is God interested in your personal needs? Yes, absolutely. Okay? So I'm not saying you never ask for those. But our hearts and our lives become transformed. And therefore, when we are abiding in him, we have those things in our hearts that he would have us to ask for. And then we see him accomplish those to do those for us. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. To be a disciple is an incredible blessing. And then the last, the third, we, we saw about abiding in the word. We saw about abiding in Christ and finally abiding truth, abiding in love. As my father, John 15, 9 and 10, as my father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, so you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So it's our choice, but it's God's grace that works within us as we make those choices to abide in his word, to abide in Christ, to abide in his love. Will we continue? Will we dwell? Will we abide as God encourages us? I want to, um, and, and, and let me just add this last thing. We see that with abiding in God's word enables us to abide in Christ. That's in our being in him through the word and through God's spirit, which then enables us to abide in his love, which is our doing. We want to get our being first, who we are, and then our doing. And as we abide in his word and abide in Christ, we get our being correct in order that we can abide in his love, which is the doing. Isn't that incredible? And so as we abide in Christ, we can bear much fruit on the inside, in our personal lives, in our, in our actions on the outside. Now, I'm going to close here with a scripture and a, a quotation and a prayer. And um, as I do, I just want you to keep thinking about how can I better abide in his word? How can I better abide in Christ? How can I better abide in his love? And the scripture is out of Galatians. And the quotation is from a couple, Bill and Annabelle Gillum. And this scripture out of Galatians says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now listen to this quote from Bill and Annabelle Gillum in light of that scripture. Please pay attention. The Christian life is not difficult to live. It's impossible. Jesus Christ is the only one who has ever really lived the Christian life. And he is the only one who can live it today. And that is what he wants to do in you and through you. Father, we ask for your grace, your empowerment to abide in your word, to abide in you, Jesus Christ, and then to abide in your love. We need your grace. We need your favor, but we need to be intentional. And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that as we go forth tonight, today, that you will help us to abide in your word, to abide in you, Lord Jesus, and to abide in love. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.